it's spring vacation this week. Is that affecting any of us this morning? Any students or families have any trips in mind or anything special? I can remember I was always looking forward to spring vacation when my kids were little to do some crazy thing with them. Uh, but how many have noticed it's always nice the week before spring vacation or after spring vacation? It's just like that one week. It's just, I don't know. What's it like this week? Does anyone know? Has anyone looked at the weather? It's going to be snowing sideways or anything. No, it's good. Really? That's a miracle. Uh, who would have known? Anyway, glad you chose to come out and just spend some time in the Word this morning uh, with one another to enjoy some fellowship. Isn't it great to see one another a little bit more? We have more people coming out a little bit here in the life of the church. It's been uh, so much different uh, uh, this last uh, eight months or so. and It's just great to see one another. For some of you, uh, for the first time I got to see in the last almost year. And uh, so anyway, praise the Lord. If you've got a Bible, you can grab it. And I'll uh, remind you that uh, in a couple of weeks, we, have, uh, we get to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, we want to have three services on that particular day. I believe it's April 4th. We're going to have one at 7, one at 9, and one at 11. Uh, parents, I uh, want to mention to you online or here in the sanctuary that we'll have children's ministry at 9 uh, for your children. So we're uh, getting into having children's ministry available for both services at 9 and at 11 and I believe that's from nursery all the way through to 6th grade so Mike and Mindy thank you very much we appreciate what you're doing and all of you who are part of our children's ministry who are in the sanctuary this morning or uh, maybe serving next service thank you we appreciate your ministry very much really really do our kids are so important uh, they're worth our very best, and uh, we really appreciate uh, just uh, time spent with our children. Last week, we started a little bit of a series for three weeks here, preparing to celebrate the resurrection, just focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, the life-changing power of the cross is uh, what we're calling it. Uh, last, year we, uh, last week, we talked a little bit about forgiveness. Uh, has anyone's life been changed by forgiveness? Isn't it amazing the freedom when you understand forgiveness, the life-changing power of the cross? I so uh, enjoyed time in the Word uh, last week about that. Uh, I got a couple emails during the week, by the way. Someone said, thank you so much for a clear picture of grace. It was so good to be reminded of uh, grace again. We're going to talk about that actually a little bit this, this morning. We, you, know, you can't get... Uh, can't talk about much but grace when you talk about the power of the cross because it's all about grace and uh and this morning we're going to talk a little bit about hope and of course this sermon will talk about hope in this life but it also talks a lot about uh, hope for eternal life and you know i know some of us might be a little bit younger here this morning and the whole thought of dying is like way out there in fact to be 40 sounds like ancient okay so uh, some of you uh, 40 is in the rearview mirror a long ways back and the reality of hope the hope of eternal life is is very very real uh, very real I'll never forget uh, gosh it was just a couple of years uh, after Cheryl and I moved to Klamath Falls so this is a while ago um, got a phone call 
from uh, family. Uh, the father was probably days, maybe a week or so away from passing away in a hospital bed uh, there in their living room and uh, called our church out of the blue. Uh, I probably went through yellow pages back when we had phone books, if anyone remembers that. I didn't have Google and smartphones back then. Uh, picked our church and just called and said, could a pastor come visit my dad? And so uh, I got there. There's this beautiful young woman and a couple of other sisters. They were standing in the hallway. I knocked on the door, came on in. There was this little opening into the living room. I hadn't even got through the opening. And this man raises up the best he can in his bed. And he says, pastor, what can I do to be saved? Literally. And, you know, talk about, you know, throwing up a lob to a preacher. Uh, that was a fun few moments uh, with his family. I, I don't know what had happened in his life. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't real old, probably in his 70s, but he had a heart condition, and uh, he knew it was the end. And somewhere along the way in his life, he had heard about Jesus, for whatever reason, had refused or rejected or resisted or just put off. A decision about Jesus Christ. Maybe he went to a Billy Graham crusade or saw Billy Graham on television and he knew at some point in, a life, in his life he needed to make a decision. And uh, on that day, he decided, I need a savior. I, I don't know if you believe in deathbed conversions, uh, but we're going to look at one today when we look at the cross. Uh, one of the thieves on the cross here this morning. And if, you know, if you're someone who maybe you're watching online or you're visiting here this morning, you, you've had a lot of questions about salvation. Maybe you've doubted uh, your own salvation. Maybe you've got caught up in uh, church and theology and how much do I need to know and what kind of prayer do I need to pray? I want you to know this morning, it's simpler than that and we're going to see it. Uh, here in these verses. So I'm going to begin reading verse 32 of Luke chapter 23, if you've turned there already. Um, this is kind of in the middle of what you might refer to as the historical record of the crucifixion. Last week we covered some things we won't cover again. Uh, this week, uh, the, the different uh, mock trials that Jesus went through at the hands of the Jewish leaders, uh, making false accusations against him. Pilate trying to uh, release Jesus, knowing that he was innocent and had done nothing wrong. Of course, the crowd cried, uh, crucify him, crucify him. And, and of course, uh, Pilate, three times the Bible says, why? What has he done? But they yelled all the louder, crucify him. And finally, he submitted to the crowd and he was let out to be crucified. And we're going to pick it up in verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, some people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. 
I don't know if you ever use your imagination when you're reading the Bible, but you know, when I read that picture, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. There's just uh, something vicious there. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Uh, there was a written notice above him which read, by the way, this was to be mocking toward the Jewish people. This is the king of the Jews. Little did they know that it was a prophetic statement of who Jesus was. How many believe he is the king? Not only of the Jews, but king of kings and lord of lords. I can't imagine what Jesus felt like during these moments. To, to be mocked by the Jewish leaders and, and Roman soldiers. He saved others. Let him save himself. How many know that would have been easy for him? I mean, this is Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth belonged to him. He walked on water. He opened blind eyes. He raised the dead. Uh, I think it's in Matthew's gospel. Uh, remember when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? And Peter drew his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. Jesus said, put away your sword. And then he picks up Malchus's ear and heals him with everyone watching. Can you imagine how stunning that would have been? And then verse, uh, verse 53 of Matthew 26, he says, don't you know if I wanted to? I could call down 12 legions of angels. And of course, it would have only taken one. In fact, John's gospel, when the crowd came toward him, Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. And Jesus said, I am him. And when Jesus said, I am, just the authority of his presence, they all fell to the ground in front of him. How do you know Jesus is the great I am? Just, there's so many powerful pictures uh, in these verses. Jesus didn't come to earth to save himself. He came to save us. He had the ability to lay down his life and take it up again. <laughs> he was fully God and fully man. The Bible talks about Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. See, the cross was always the Father's plan. And, you know, through these events, Jesus is in complete authority and, and completely in control. Uh, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there uh, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Uh, but this man has done nothing wrong. That's a powerful statement. This man has done nothing wrong, talking about his innocence. Verse 42, then, G then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Whew. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, we read verse 43 out loud together. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let me say a prayer. Uh, Jesus, this morning, the life-changing power of the cross. Lord, there are many of us in this room uh, 
who've never really discovered the power of the cross and how it can change our life. And, and Lord, then there are some who have. Lord, there are people in our culture and in our world who are mocking you. Lord, they're still rejecting you as the Messiah. Lord, there are just some simple things in these verses. I ask you to open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, open our eyes to see the truth of who you are. We thank you for your wonderful presence here, Lord. And we thank you for the power and the authority of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Could you say amen with me? Amen. You know, I think all of us realize someday we're going to die. I uh, don't know that um, you, you, you talk about it much. Um, when you're younger, of course, you know, to be honest, if you have small children, some days feel like eternity, just trying to get your kids through the day. So uh, I remember those days I'd come home and my wife would look at me and she would say, they're yours. You know, and she would just go somewhere and take a few minutes. So, you know, been there, done that, and bought the shirt. But, um, you know, as you get older, just the reality that uh, you're a mortal person, maybe it's just the aches and pains in the morning when you get up. <clears throat> but it's true. Uh, our life on earth is extremely short. Uh, the Bible says we are like grass, you know. Uh, it goes up quickly and, and, and then it fades. Our life is short. It's just a whisper. Another word, the book of Psalms use, it's a vapor. And uh, I read a story about a man who was walking through a cemetery one day. Uh, he, he saw a tombstone. And written there on the tombstone were these words, and I'll read it to you. It says, uh, pause now, stranger, as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Uh, the guy read it and thought about it for a minute, and then he responded this way. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. <clears throat> How many know death is not the end? It, it's, it's really not, and yet, you know, we put so much hope here on earth, but death is not the end, of course. Uh, like Michael said, it's, it's, it really is just a beginning. God created you to live for all eternity, and I think it's so important at some point in your life to, to face the reality of that. God created you to live for all eternity. Um, it's probably my age, but I, I did read an article by uh, uh, Harold Cohen is his name. He's a professor and actually uh, oversees the Department of Psychology in Harvard. And the reason I did is because the title uh, of the article got my attention. And, and uh, I'll tell you the title in just a minute. But basically the article uh, was about the fact that people look, when people look seriously about the reality of death, and life beyond the grave, it, it says that they are happier, they are healthier. Uh, it says they have more peace, less stress, uh, more joy. Basically, in the article, he says, you don't know how to live until you face the reality that someday you're, you're going to die. And, of course, that was the title of the article. It caught my attention. I 
thought I'd read about. Of course, it was all psychology. And to be honest, half the words I didn't understand. But how many know Jesus conquered death on our behalf? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? And there's something about a, an encounter with Jesus Christ like this man on the cross had that truly changes your perspective on life, that helps you become fearless in the face of death and gives you hope when you face some of the death-like things that take place in this life. How many know this life can be really discouraging? It can be really difficult, and there are things in this life that battle against our lives every day. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Could someone say amen to that? It's, it's just true. Jesus said to the thief, uh, some translations say criminal, uh, others say insurrectionist, but Jesus said to this thief on the cross as he was dying, today you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. What a powerful encounter. Now, isn't it interesting? Two people responded to Jesus that way in different ways. And I want to look at a couple of things one knew that the other didn't understand. Number one, the one thief knew he would face God after he died. Verse 40, while the other thief was mocking Jesus like the Roman soldiers and, of course, the Jewish leaders around him. Verse 40, he says, don't you fear God even though, even when you're going to die? You know, one of the biggest mistakes you can make in this life is to not fear God. To, to not have reverence for God. It says in Proverbs chapter one, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It, it, it says in uh, uh, Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, unfortunately, there's so much in our culture that denies God and denies his existence to the point uh, where we don't have the fear of God anymore. Like that man uh, who was about to die and he asked for a pastor to come and said, what must I do to be saved? He learned that at some point growing up, whether he watched a Billy Graham crusade or whatever, he knew he was about to die and he knew he was accountable to God. He knew he couldn't get to heaven on his own. He knew that he needed a savior. And of course, I had a great time sharing Jesus with him and with his family. And of course, we all prayed and he prayed to receive Jesus. You know, so many people, uh, they treat God so casually. They're so flippant about life. Life is all about their plans, their dreams, their goals. <laughs> I don't want to discourage you this morning, but life is not about you. I mean, it's really not. It says in Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All that you see was created for God's glory. Now, thankfully, it's for our enjoyment as well. 
But God created the earth for his glory. He created the universe around us for his glory. And believe it or not, he created you for his glory. God created us for his glory. Life is not about you. You may get to live 30, 40, 70, maybe even 100 years on this earth pursuing your own dreams. But in comparison to eternity, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, every person is appointed once to die and then to be judged by God. Everybody has an appointment with God. And by the way, it's an appointment no one is going to miss. You won't be late for that appointment, okay? Now, this thief on the cross was not a theologian. He didn't know the four spiritual laws. He didn't grow up in church. He's a, he's a criminal. He's never been to Bible college. He didn't know the King James from the NIV. But he knew one day he would give an account of his life to God. And one of the things that we have to understand is that God is a God of the heart. And as much as we try to read or teach, it's all about the heart. What's the focus of your heart? What's the focus of my heart? Uh, our God is a God of the heart. First thing he understood was that he would give an account of his life to God. Second thing, he, he knew he'd sinned against God and he took responsibility for it. In verse 41, he says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. Now, the Bible calls that confession, uh, taking responsibility for your sins rather than trying to minimize them or rationalize them or maybe excuse them. Unfortunately, I think we all have a tendency uh, to think God grazed on a curve. We love the phrase, I'm not perfect. And of course, everybody knows that, especially the person sitting by you. But we have a tendency, and I do it too, we have a tendency to think I'm not as bad as they are or I haven't maybe committed the mistakes they have. And uh, I love Max Lucado's uh, picture of uh, God's holiness. How many know that God is holy? It's hard for us to grasp where a fallen uh, people. The idea of perfection is, is outside of our understanding. We, we think if we have a good day, hallelujah, but perfection is so far beyond outside of our understanding and, and, and God is so much higher in, in regard to holiness. And so Max Lucado is trying to create a picture and he, he, he said, for, for you to be perfect, it would be like you having the ability to jump up and touch the moon. How many realize that God is that much higher? Okay, he's holy. How many have, how high can you jump? Have you tried lately? How, how high can you jump? Eight inches, four inches, 12 inches. Can you imagine? God is holy. Holiness would be like being able to jump up and touch the moon. In fact, beyond that, because God is infinitely holy. There's no shadow in God. He's pure, which is impossible for us to even imagine because we're not, and we, we don't even have a concept of pure love, of pure peace or pure 
joy. God is holy. And we have a tendency to look around and say, well, I can jump 10 inches. They can only jump eight, you know, as though that mattered. We're talking the moon. <laughs> God is holy. And, and it's so hard for us to imagine. Now, I want to pick up a, a picture here of, uh, of what Jesus did on the cross. And I realize it's imperfect, but just think with me for a moment. The humility of God dying on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins, okay? He dies between two thieves. I think that was an accident. Of course not. God's the master communicator. And uh, both these men, criminals, the Bible says, the word used there, okay, these aren't people that had a fine for, you know, a traffic uh, violation. They're not on probation. They're being crucified. And, and the reason the Roman government crucified people is because they wanted to make a statement about someone's life. So the Roman government is making a statement about their life. It, it, it's showing that there was no, no way for salvation except for what Jesus did on the cross. They're a picture of the world and a picture of the choice that every person needs to make. One on his right and, of course, uh, one on his left. Now, theologians call this the great exchange. God, Jesus, taking on himself my sin and your sin. All the pettiness, okay, all the ego, all the anger, all the gossip, all the slander, all the jealousy, all the lustful thoughts, all the unkind words. God taking on himself all my sin. In exchange, he gives me the righteousness of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Holy perfect, complete. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, he who knew no sin became sin. When Jesus died on the cross, remember those moments when it was dark at the cross? Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken me? Of course, all sin, yours and mine, placed upon Jesus. He who knew no sin literally became sin so that the punishment of God could be poured out on him. He who knew no sin became sin, that I might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's powerful. The life-changing power of the cross, the hope that the cross brings for our life. Now, what's amazing is one man mocked him I don't know why people turn on God, but they do. I don't know whether something happened in their life that they resent or they become bitter, but I know people literally turn on God to deny God, to deny that he's real. It's amazing to me. This man mocked him. 
one man hated God and the other man humbled himself and knew that at some point he would give an account of his life to God and he humbled himself to God. And he knew that only grace would save him. Do you see this moment, this moment in eternity, this exchange, this encounter that this man had with Jesus Christ. He just simply from his heart cries out to Jesus in verse 42. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now this man knew he couldn't do anything to earn salvation. Okay, He couldn't come down from the cross. He couldn't work at a soup kitchen. He, he couldn't do a lot of charity work. He's nailed to a cross. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't join a church. He couldn't learn theology. He couldn't make promises. God, I change, I'll change. I promise. I'll never do that again. He, all he could do was hang there. I mean, it's one of the most powerful pictures of grace. The only thing he could do to be saved was believe. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He saw something in the spirit. And my prayer for you this morning, I hope it's already happened for you, that you could have a life-changing encounter with Jesus and understand, just in a moment, in your spirit, understand he died for you. He took away your shame. He took away your guilt, and he's coming back again. See, one of the things I, I love about this verse is, is what Jesus says. Today, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think sometimes in church we overcomplicate salvation. And so let me say a couple of things Jesus says about salvation. Number one, when you come to Jesus, salvation is immediate. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today. I think oftentimes people are caught in trying to become better. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think all of us want to grow, but some of us doubt our salvation. We struggle with our salvation. We struggle with our relationship with God. We struggle with the idea that, you know, well, God doesn't love me. We base it all on our feelings and we base it all on our performance. And I want to say this, more, this morning, salvation is immediate. Jesus said, today. And this man could do nothing to add to simply believing in Jesus. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Second thing I want you to see is salvation is certain. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Unfortunately, so many people go through life hoping they can go to heaven. I've talked to so many of them after years of attending church and, and yet they're hoping, hoping. Salvation is immediate. It's powerful. It's life-changing and it's certain today you will be with me in paradise. And my prayer for you is just assurance this morning that somehow when you walk out of here, the life-changing power of the cross. It'd be so real for you. The forgiveness that lasts for all eternity and the hope of eternal life that will never be taken from you. Do you know that you're not the one who holds on to God? 
through all your Bible reading and all your prayers and all your church attendance, you're not the one who holds on to God. God is the one holding on to you. It says in the book of Judges, he is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious throne without spot and with great joy. Hallelujah. So thankful for that. A third thing about salvation Jesus says here is this is about a relationship. Today you will be with me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's so important that, you know, faith in Jesus, if you're visiting this morning, we're a Jesus people here in this church. It's not about rules. It's not about religion, but it's about a relationship with Jesus. We want to know him. We all want to grow in our relationship with him. We want to serve him and we want to share him because we love him and we experience his joy as we're doing those things. But salvation is about a relationship. It's in a person. His name is Jesus. And can I tell you, when you get to heaven, it's going to be all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Occasionally, you'll have a chance to play golf with someone or you'll work next to someone. And, uh, and they're hoping in the back of their mind someday they'll go to heaven. My question is, do they love Jesus? Because Jesus is what heaven is all about. And, uh, you know, if there's someone who's kind of following their own dreams and their own plans and hoping someday they're going to be good enough, unfortunately, someday they're going to wake up and realize that wasn't enough. Salvation is about a relationship with Jesus for all eternity. The last thing, salvation is forever. You will be with me in paradise uh, for all eternity. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. and uh, I just want to close uh, thinking a little bit about the cross here. And I want to ask you a question. Have you had a life-changing encounter with the person of Jesus? Because that's what it's all about, the life-changing power of the cross. Has it changed from death to life? Has it given you hope in the sense that it's beyond this life, that this world is not my home? I'm just passing through. I'm going to invite us to stand here this morning. and just want to say a prayer for each person. Uh, Lord, this morning, um, you know, I never know... Uh, who I'm speaking to, but Lord, there are some of these thoughts that we've tried to address this morning that, Lord, they wrestle against us in our soul, doubts about uh, salvation, whether I'm not uh, saved or not. And Lord, I just wanna, wanna pray for each person. Would you come today with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring assurance, Lord? Bring your gift of peace, restore Lord, a sense of confidence and hope. We want to thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we want to thank you for your love. Jesus, help us trust you like the man on the cross. There's nothing we can add to what you've done for us. Help us trust you completely because of what you've done through the life-changing power of the cross. We thank you for that this morning. Jesus, wonderful name. Well, amen together.
Amen. I don't have everybody do it. Oh, there he is. I want to sing Jesus, Jesus again. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. 